Today is, is liturgically the second Sunday of Christmas. We have since celebrated the birth of our Lord and Savior. Thanks be to God. It's also the first Sunday of the new year. While some of us still have our Christmas decorations adorning our homes, many others of us have boxed up our holiday themes for next year. And by now, we are all likely focusing on our New Year's resolutions. What's it going to be this year? Lose weight? Exercise more? Eat healthier? Waste less? Love more? Or perhaps simply denounce the entire concept of New Year's resolutions? What exactly is a resolution anyway? One definition I found reads that a resolution is a firm decision to do or not do something. I also read that a New Year's resolution is a promise to do something differently in the new year. We often make that promise to ourselves or sometimes to an accountability partner. I do not ever recall, however, making such any promise of a resolution to God. Can you imagine what such a conversation with God would sound like? God, if you help me to lose some weight, I'll promise to come to church more often. Or how about, God, if you give me the strength to exercise every day, I'll increase my offerings at church. God is not wanting to create a covenant with us each and every new year. God certainly will be in our endeavors. God will always love us unconditionally, regardless of our personal successes or failures. While God has created covenants in the past, these are not like what we would identify as resolutions. So what is the, def the difference between a covenant and a resolution? A very basic definition of a covenant would be an agreement or perhaps a promise, sometimes listed as binding in nature, between two or more parties in regard to biblical a biblical covenant, this reference uh, exemplifies where God has entered into an agreement with humankind that involves both promises and responsibilities for, for each party. I've also noted the definition of a biblical covenant as a partnership of sorts, that of God working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. As we begin to explore God's covenants with us, let us keep in mind these biblical definitions, which include examples of promises and responsibilities, of expectations and of partnerships. As our sermon title suggests, we will examine God's grace of the covenant from the beginning of time through the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we continue to celebrate this season of Christmas. We will review five covenants, each one providing further reassurance that God will fulfill the purpose of uh, His creation and of humanity by fully establishing God's kingdom here on earth. Uh, most covenants require some mutual agreement on expectations and responsibilities. From the very beginning, although not a formal covenant, in the truest sense, God created expectations for Adam and Eve, God will provide. Adam and Eve should embrace this relationship with God and simply follow but one directive from Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but 
you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, as we all know, Adam and Eve succumbed to that temptation to sample this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And forevermore, humankind has desired to go it alone, to forge our own path, to rely solely on ourselves, to manage without a partnership. In fact, at times, even without God. Yet all along, God has wanted that partnership with us, that partnership to accomplish the ultimate mission to establish God's kingdom here on earth. But alas, in our egocentric, stubborn, and sinful ways, we have not only denied God this partnership, but in many cases, we have actively worked against it. This broken partnership is why we are stuck in a world of suffering, corruption, and injustice. Yet time and time again, our Father God reveals His love and grace for all His children through the covenant. The first one, known as the Noahic covenant, is described in Genesis chapter 6. God tells Noah, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. God further clarifies in Noah chapter 9, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Interestingly, in this very first covenant, God asks for nothing in return from Noah. No expectations, no responsibilities, no partnership. There is nothing that Noah or his family must do to ensure that this covenant agreement, that this promise is fulfilled. The covenant is simply an example of God's faithfulness. God is willing to love us unconditionally, an example of God's ultimate grace. Unfortunately, once again, humankind is unwilling to partner with God. Once again, we want to go our own way. Can you see how this plays out? in your own lives? As a father, I want what is best for my children. As a spouse, I want what is best for my partner. And as a friend, I want what is best for my colleagues. Yet, I know in my heart that my children and that my wife and that my colleagues may not share that same vision I have for them. And they may even rebel against what I believe is in their best interest. It's painful to watch, and sometimes I get sad, angry, and despondent. But then I realize that God lives with these same feelings every moment of every day when we disregard God's best intent for us. And yet God forgives us, and God loves us. Thanks be to the grace of God. We see yet another example of grace in the second covenant, known as the Abrahamic Covenant. Some years after the great flood, pride and arrogance, once again, caused the people to rebel against God as they constructed the Tower of Babel. This construction project was not what God wanted, nor was it pleasing to God. Ultimately, God would choose one man and one nation to serve as the means to fulfill God's mission through the entire world. In Genesis 12, the Lord says to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In this second covenant, we see the development of expectations, requirements, and a partnership. God partners with Abram, promising three specific things. First, Abraham, as he is now called, will be made into a great nation. Second, this nation will be led into the promised land. And third, through Abraham, all people of the earth will be blessed. As partnership goes, God also asks something of Abraham in return. God wants Abraham to leave his home and his family and follow God to the land he would show him. Abraham is asked to trust in God, to do what is right and just, and to teach his extended family the ways of the Lord. And when it comes right down to it, aren't we all asked to do the same? As Abraham's extended family grows into what we know as the tribes of Israel, God invokes the third covenant, known as the Mosaic Covenant. From Exodus chapter 19, God decrees, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God tells Moses that if Israel submits to the covenant, they will be God's chosen people. And ultimately, these blessings will be extended to all the people of the earth. Under these conditions, abiding by the Mosaic covenant, this brings Israel closer to realizing the promises God made in the Abrahamic covenant. As we have come to know, once again, humankind is unwilling to partner with God and abide within the expectations and requirements of the covenant. Once again, we want to go our own way. After the people disobeyed the commands made in the previous covenant, God creates the fourth covenant, the Davidic covenant, as a gracious means to bring the people back into relationship, back into a partnership with God. In this covenant, David, excuse me, God asks David to lead the nation Israel in obedience and then promises David that of his lineage will come the one to extend God's kingdom of grace, peace, and blessings throughout all nations. This Davidic covenant is outlined in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The Lord professes to David, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who built a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This covenant promises an eternal kingdom, which is ultimately fulfilled in Christ Jesus, who is a descendant of Abraham through David. This brings us to our fifth 
and final covenant, which is known as the new covenant. We read about God's act of covenant grace in our unison reading earlier this morning from the prophet Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This day has come with the birth of our Lord and Savior, that which we have just celebrated. Jesus fulfills all of God's covenants. Jesus is the grace of the covenant that affords us everlasting life. So now that we have briefly explored the Old Testament covenants, let us examine how Jesus fulfills each of them. As we have seen, humankind historically broke the covenants that God made with us. We have been egocentric, stubborn, and sinful. We have been disobedient. We have not trusted in or relied on God. And while we have broken these covenants, God has restored them in Christ. In fact, God became human in Christ so that we could have a faithful covenant partner, an immediate and everlasting partnership, a bountiful relationship with God directly. Christ was born that we might be restored in the covenants. Jesus is with us in our faith. No amount of good deeds affords us salvation. Remember that God asks for nothing in return from Noah, much like how we are saved through our faith alone in Christ. The Apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to the Ephesians, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. From the Abrahamic covenant, we see that God would ultimately choose one man to serve as the means to fulfill God's mission through the entire world, to be a blessing to all people on earth. Jesus is from the family of Abraham and brings the blessings of that family to the whole world. In the Mosaic covenant, God reminds the people, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. We know that Jesus is the faithful Israelite, the one and only who is truly able to obey the law, the treasured son. The Davidic covenant is a gracious means to bring the people back into a relationship, a partnership with God, who proclaims to David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom. As we know, Jesus is from the lineage of King David, and Jesus extends God's kingdom of justice and peace throughout the world. The birth of Jesus is but one part of this new covenant. God seals this new covenant in the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, listen for the words spoken by Jesus as he alludes to both the forgiveness linked by Jeremiah to the new covenant and the blood associated with the establishment 
of the old Mosaic covenant, Jesus speaks truth to his disciples at the Passover meal. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven through this new covenant by the grace of God. We are saved through our faith in Jesus Christ, but we are not mere passive participants in this divine partnership. With this new covenant comes expectations and responsibilities and relationships and partnerships. How can we embrace and honor the grace of the covenant? We have explored and professed our individual and communal discipleship, our Christian life here at First Presbyterian Church. Perhaps this may sound familiar to you. We are a family of faith called to grow in the love of Christ, share the good news, and serve the world. Now, with the new year upon us, I do think it is fitting to talk a little about resolutions. What can we do as a resolution to live out our lives in this new covenant? How can we better partner with God and not always try to blaze our own trails? Can we take to heart the notion that God is in control and to trust God as we strive to grow, share, and serve? Perhaps we can. Perhaps we can participate in Sunday school classes or small groups. Maybe we can share our faith with others and invite them to worship with us. And there are always opportunities to help those who are less fortunate and in need of our compassionate efforts to serve. I leave you to contemplate what the grace of the covenant means to you. And to consider this from Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. And if there is ever a question as to what this straight path might be for each of us, we can look to Jesus' greatest commandment for our foundation. From Matthew 22, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Thanks be to the grace of God's covenants, rejoicing in the ultimate new covenant, rejoicing in the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, giving thanks for the sacrifice to which our sins are forgiven, giving thanks for eternal life in the kingdom of God. May we experience our own grace, gratitude, and joy in Christ this day, and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.